preliminaries. I think we'll try to get started. Well, almost. Um, and I guess this is part of the message, I guess, of getting started. I, I just want to say, um, and I'm looking out across there, and I see a lot of y'all were at the, the GLS this year, which is the, the Global Leadership Summit that we go to the satellite site down in Wichita. It's put on my Willow Creek Church out of Chicago, and they have a multiple satellite sites around the country. Actually, the one in Wichita is the second largest in the nation. There were like 1,700 of us down there, and over 100 people uh, from the Emporia area were there, and so excited about it. And I was just thinking, and I was saddened. I was saddened as I got back yesterday, and I, was, and I turned on the news, and I hear about what's going on in Charlottesville. And it just brought back to me, and some of you may remember, it's the very first, very first thing that Bill Hybels talked about. Very first thing we get there, he talked about dealing with our culture today where there is a lack of civility, where there's disrespect and anger and how we treat one another and just how this ought not to be. And so, it, you know, when I see stuff like this on the news and I see the divisiveness in our country and, and I see this kind of disrespect and lack of understanding and tolerance of other people, even people that you don't agree with, it was just a reminder of me that the love of Christ is forever relevant. And it has to touch our lives. And it has to touch us, our lives so it affects the way that we touch other people. So anyway, it was, a, it was a great conference. I encourage you to go. A lot of our people went. Uh, you can ask them about that. Okay, we're working our way through the greatest story. If you don't have one of these folders that looks like this, okay, they're on the um, Welcome Center kiosk back there. Pick one after the service. Pick one up. It has a chart in there. We're going through Act 1. There are three acts to the story. We're going through Act 1. Um, it is the story of God's redemption of mankind. The first act is the provision of redemption. It goes from Abraham all the way through the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're working on covering now. So this is where we are. If I could see the chart, remember we had the prologue was Genesis 1 through 12. Then Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham. Of he was going to make a great nation out of him. There was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. Joseph went down to Egypt. They multiplied down there. God raised up a leader. His name was Moses. They went to Mount Sinai because you, you need people. You need a leader. Went to Mount Sinai. He gave them a law, which is their culture. And then he gave them a land. You need a land. That was under Joshua. And today, today we get to Judges. And, uh, and if you look up at the top, you see the different books of the Bible that were written during these periods of time. So today, the period of time that we're talking about, the book of Judges and the book of Ruth, occurred during this time. Looking back, last week, we, looked, we went through Joshua. Joshua uh, was the conquering of the land. It was God working through Joshua and Caleb and mighty people like that and, and, and giving them the land, and they possessed the land, and it took... It took 25 years to possess the land. 25 years, the book of Joshua. But Joshua's dead. And it's not like at the beginning of Joshua, it says Moses is dead. Now, Joshua, I'm going to be with you like I was with. But when we get to the book of Judges, it doesn't happen like that. Now, I don't know why. 
I don't, I, I don't know that I have any real smart answer for why there wasn't another leader for Joshua to pass the baton to, but there was not. And, and I think when you get to Judges, uh, for me, it's kind of like some reading some of the book of the prophets. These are some of the sad sections in the Bible. It, it, you know, I, I'm just telling you, there's some stuff in here. It's not all hugs and kisses and rainbows and chocolates. I'm just telling you, it's, it's tough stuff. It says in, in Joshua 24, 31, that Joshua, that God blessed the nation under the leadership of Joshua and the elders that were with him that outlived Joshua. During their leadership, there was a legacy. And God blessed them and blessed the nation. But when they died, we see a lot of problems. And one of, the th one of the saddest things about the book of Judges is this. The period of time from Judges 1 to the end of the chapter, do you know how long this is? This was 350 years. You sit down and read this in an hour or whatever, or a couple hours or whatever, you read through the book of Judges, and it's like, oh, 350 years. That's from... Plymouth Rock to today. That's from the only way people could talk to each other was face-to-face -to, -face to FaceTime and Skype and texting and all that. If you want to go somewhere, you had to walk or ride a horse. Now you're getting a jet. 350 years. 350 years. It's a long time. A long time of darkness with pockets of light. Pockets of light. Well, what's the seed problem here? What happened? Uh, we go to Scripture. We go to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. What we're going to see here is this. God gave them the land, but they did not truly possess the land. They did not drive out the Canaanites. And, and the principle we're going to see here in, in Judges chapter 2 is this we will never know the full blessing of God when we are half-hearted we we will never know the full blessing of God when we are half-hearted it's you know Caleb I think back to Caleb in the book of Joshua he was described as being whole-hearted all-in And this is just as relevant as it was in the time of the judges because I'll tell you what happens a lot of times. I think we think this way. We think about, well, I really don't want to maximize my efforts toward godly, holy living because I don't know what it might cost me or what I might have to do or what I might have to give up. So, Lord, what is the, what is the, the minimum, what's the minimum level that I can get to? Just, just kind of enough. Kind of enough. You're not too upset with me. We're kind of okay. Don't want to disrupt the status quo too much, do we? And I'm just telling you, when you have that spirit and that attitude of like, what's, what's kind of the least I can do and get by with God? It doesn't work that way. It, it, it's... It's all in. It's all in. 
It's kind of like if I were to ask Brandy Delmont this morning, have you had your baby yet? She would either say no or yes, but she would say yes because she's here today. And Titus Edward Delmont is here with her. Let's give them a hand. It's like that. We're all in. You've had the baby or you haven't had the baby. You're all in for God or are you really not? You're really not. Judges chapter 2. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you, out of, up in, I led you into the land that I swore to give to your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. You shall tear, break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this now? Therefore, I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you and that's what we see happening that's what it says there that's what it says in Judges 2 3 thorns in your side and a snare to you Judges is a very sad book and, and, and the, 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 the key verse in the book of Judges is the very last verse in the book and it says this in Judges 21 next verse yeah in those days Israel had no king what everyone did as they saw fit Everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did as they saw fit. No ruler, self-rule. I have a good friend who oh, we, 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 we warn each other about the danger of solitary counsel. Solitary counsel can be dangerous. You know why? This is what it says in Proverbs 16.2. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. In fact, I think we tend to think we are pure in our own eyes. I think we tend to think, you know, I know my motives. I'm, my motives are good. This is all good. I'm, I'm pure. I'm good. And I want to just put, it says here in the book of Judges, people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And if you track with this book, it's a horrible book with pockets of light. But some horrible things happened when people are left to their own thinking, to solitary counsel, to self-rule, because we have this amazing ability to rationalize anything in our own minds. You think about it long enough and you can make black into white and white into black. Chapters 3 through 16 records the cycles of their failure. Seven times, if I've counted right, they failed here. And I'm not going to trace each one, but they all have the same pattern, and it's from Judges chapter 3. Let me read the first 11 verses of chapter 3. These are the nations the Lord left to test all the Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this, o- he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Canaanites who had not had previous battle experience. And God used even their sin to not drive them out. He uses it. That's what God does. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonites, and the Hivites, living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. Is that where we get Lebo from? I don't know. Just wondering. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's command, which he had given the forefathers through Moses. 
the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Verse 7, the Lord, excuse me, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Aram, Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cush, king of Aram, into the hand of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So we see a pattern here. And this is what we're going to see over and over again. Number one is the people rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. They, they, they married daughters of these folks who worshipped the false gods, and they gave their daughters to marry their sons, and they served the false gods. And it says God began to discipline them. And he disciplined them by bringing them under the oppression of another king. The people cried out to God. God sent a judge. Now, it's not like a judge today who sits in a courtroom and does his thing and sustains motions and overrules motions and all that uh, uh, objection. Well, all this stuff they do. I'll have to talk to the judge after the service this morning to find out. But all those things. But this is a rescuer, a deliverer, a leader. That's what this, this role of a judge was in that time. And so God used this person, Othniel in this case, and there was a period of rest. Again, the judges were pockets of light and a dark time. So there was Othniel, who was Caleb's nephew, which says something about legacy, which, what are your nieces and nephews learning from you? Are you an Uncle Caleb to them? Ehud, who assassinated Eglon, king of Moab. Shamgar, sounds like, ought to be Shamgar and the somethings. Sounds like a singing group. Shamgar and the Shamettes or something. Uh, killed 600 Philistines with the ox goad. If you know what an ox goad is, here we go. In case you were just wondering. Free of charge. Next there was Deborah, who was the only female judge. I love this story. How God raised up a woman in a very male-dominated culture. Again, God paints outside of our lines sometimes of what we think he's going to do and how we think he's going to work. And I just love the story. She was described as a prophetess of God, and she's so well-respected that when Barak, the general of the troops, had to go out to battle, he says, well, I won't go out unless you go with me. If you'll go with me, I, I, if you don't go with me, I won't go. And so Deborah says, oh, okay, that's fine with me, but let me just say the honor... Of, of defeating King Sisera, the other king, it's going to go to a woman. I just want you to know that. I love that. And so sure enough, Sisera's running for his life, and he's exhausted, and he, and, he, and, he, and he gets tired, and he goes to this tent, and this woman's there named Jael, and she said, uh, he said, come in and lay down, and she gave him something to drink, and he went to sleep, and then she crushed his skull. Whoa. I don't, know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm going to leave that alone. We're just going to stop right there. Um, 
And then there was Gideon. Gideon was a great, that's another great story in Judges 6 through 8. I always love the way it starts. The, the, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Mighty warrior, and Gideon laughs. I, mean, I don't know if he laughs, but he says, We're being oppressed. My clan's the least in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. What's this mighty warrior stuff? God uses little people in little places all the time. All the time. So he takes an act of faith. He pulls down the altar of the bell. That's good. And then God says, I want you to go fight the Midianites. And, and this is the story where we get the whole idea of fleece. You hear some people say sometimes about putting out a fleece. Well, this is where the story comes from. And he says, Lord, if you're with me, I'm going I'm to put the fleece out there tonight. And I, I, want the, I want the fleece to be wet and the ground all around it to be dry. And I'll know that that was a miracle and that you're in this. And so he did it. And then he said, Lord, be patient with me. I, let's try this again. <laughs> I'm going to put the fleece out tonight. I want it to be dry and I want the ground to be wet. I want it to be the opposite. What did I just say? I forget. I'm confused. One time to be wet and the second one time to be dry. Anyway, God's, so, so Gideon says, I'm ready to go. And, 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 and God says to him, says, Gideon, you got, too many, you got too many troops. Well, no general ever has too many troops. And he pairs down the, the troops from 32,000 down to 300. And he sends them out to battle with a trumpet and a jug with a lantern in it. Now, They've got spears, they've got swords, they've got bows and arrows, they've got sharp, you know, cutty things that could hurt you, all right? And I'm standing here, I go, do 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 So that, they do that so that they will know that God fought for them and God got the victory, and you can read about it in Judges chapter 7. Mighty story, mighty story. God gave them the victory. Because again, remember the story, remember the great theme of the Bible is God works. God works, God works. And this is another time where God works. And there was peace in the land for a while. But again, and let me just say this, this was never, this was never, they were never unified as a nation. And so these pockets of peace were just for part of the land. It was never the whole land. Because they were still in this tribal framework. But time and again, Abimelech, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon. There's some great names there when you're naming your children. Don't have a lot of detail on them. Then we get to Samson. We get a lot of detail on Samson. Samson's another one of those miracle babies. People couldn't have children, and God gave them a child. God seems to use that lots of times in people's lives to drive them to the end of themselves so that they cry out to God and depend on God, and God still does that with us. He brings us through things to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we'll cry out to Him. This child was a Nazarite set apart to God, and the story began well with godly parents who brought him up in God's ways. But Samson became an adult, and Samson got to choose. The Samson's besetting sin was lust, and he gave in to that, and Delilah deceived him. You know the story. He got his hair cut. The Philistines captured him. They put his eyes out, made him a slave, and then his last act was when his hair grew back and he got some strength. He pulled down the columns of the temple that crushed in on people. But it's, pretty a, it's a pretty sad story, pretty sad story. 
for sure. Um, that's in Judges 13 through 16. I'm really not going to go into the details of Judges, the last five chapters of Judges, because if you've read through it, it can only be described as gross idolatry and gross immorality. I mean, they're awful. I don't even like to read this section of Scripture, to be honest with you. But again, it goes back to this whole thing that in Judges 21, 25, people did what was right in their own eyes, and they were deceived. And I think there's just a powerful lesson from the book of Judges to, to beware of yourself, to be scared of what is within your own heart, of your own selfishness and your own biases and your blind spots. Because we tend to think well of ourselves. We tend to think, yeah, I know what I'm doing, and even when I'm doing something that people don't understand, if they understood me, they'd know why. You know, I mean, we, we have God's word to guide us, and that's great. The problem isn't God's word. The problem is me. The problem's me. The problem's you. It's not God. It's not what he gives us to help us. And so there's a, it, it, it's, it's very important for us as we approach life and approach the word of God and we approach living that we bring humility with us. And I think it's also important for us to, to couple this with other people. Uh, the scriptures tell us that in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Uh, I haven't used the Johari quadrant in a while, so it's time to do that again. You know, this is what's, what's known to you, known to yourself, and what's known to others, what's unknown to you, and what's unknown to others. And there's the open self part where there's things about ourselves that we know and other people know. And then if you go to the top right, it's the blind self. It's things that you don't know about yourselves, but other people do. They're called blind spots. They call them blind spots because you can't see them. But other people see them. And you know what? Every one of us have blind spots. That's that danger of solitary counsel again. When we do life by ourselves, when we do life by ourselves, we miss some things. Not because you're a bad person, but because you have a limited perspective with a particular set of bents and biases that you bring into it that other people need to speak into your life to help you. And sometimes it's somebody with the gift of teaching one of the gifts that God gives to the body of Christ. and we, So we read in a book and we read something and go, wow, that's me. I never saw that. Maybe it's somebody who stands up on the stage and says something and you go, boy, I never saw that. I never would have thought about it from that perspective because you're standing in a different place than where the teacher is standing. There's the hidden self, things you know about yourselves but others don't know. And we hide from one another. We hide from one another. All we want to do is put our best face forward. We do that lots of times on an instrument called Facebook. Have you noticed that? 
how everybody has these wonderful, perfect lives. Just go to, if you don't believe me, go to Facebook. Everybody else has a wonderful life, don't they? Oh my, mine must be the only rotten one. But what are they doing? They're hiding. Their lives aren't perfect. I'm sorry, no offense if some of you, you know, I mean, that's just, that's not reality. We all have, and then there's the unknown self that you don't know about and other people don't know about. But a lot of times when you're doing life together, you're doing life in community, all of a sudden you have those aha moments. And you go, ah, oh, I never knew that about me. Did you know that about me? You didn't know it either, did you? And, and then it kind of goes like that. And so this is kind of all, this is a, this is a pre-plug for what's going to happen in two weeks when we talk about life groups. Because life group is our instrument here to help with this, to help all of us get better because we get better with one another. We don't get better. We get some better by ourselves, but we even get more better. Is more better? Better? But more better. We, we improve. <laughs> we, we improve with others. It's a... Uh, let me contrast for just a minute, and you kind of see some of these things. The, the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. In Joshua, in Joshua we have, um, they were unified under one leader. Judges, no unification, no one leader. Uh, in Joshua, it was a nation. Judges, no nation. Joshua, faithfulness. Judges, oh my, unfaithfulness. Joshua, progress is being made. Judges, I feel like they're just kind of they're just kind of treading water for 350 years. In Joshua, there was joy, at least more joy, and oh my! In Judges, there's sorrow, just sorrow. But I want to leave with I want to leave with a um, I want to I want to leave with a some hope, because a glimmer, a, a real glimmer of light in all this time is the little book of Ruth. The story of Ruth, it, it's a powerful story. And, it, and if we could contrast Judges and Ruth, Judges is the story of disobedience and Ruth is the story of obedience. Judges is the story of immorality and Judges, I mean Ruth is the story of morality. Judges is a book of sorrow and Ruth is the story of sorrow that turns to joy. If you haven't read the little book of Ruth in a while, it's probably take you 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe to read it. It's a great little book. It's the story of, of Ruth and, and Boaz. The, the term in the Bible then was kinsman redeemer, the near relative who married her when she was widowed. But Ruth was an was a, was a insignificant, nobody, Gentile, outsider who married a Jewish man who had left the country during a famine. And, they, and she marries this guy. And then his dad dies, his brother dies, and he dies. And it's just... Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, who is embittered by all this. So they go back to Israel. And here is this outsider, widow, poor person. No husband to provide for her or protect her. Literally, she went out and picked the leftover grain. And in fact, if you go back to the law, you read about this. They said, now when you, when you, when you harvest your grain... Don't leave the corners and don't go over your fields twice. 
and let the poor people come in and pick the grain out of the corners of the field and what's left that you missed. Which, by the way, just makes me think about what a wonderful welfare system. There's compassion for the poor, but the poor have to do something. They have to go out and put forth some effort. Um, and I don't know how you make that work, but that's, I, in my mind, that would be the ideal kind of welfare system where there's compassion for people in need, but there's also the expectation that the people that are in need put forth some effort and work like the rest of us do, if you know what I'm saying. Um, anyway, um, and then there's Boaz this, who fulfills this role of kinsman redeemer, and they married, and it's, uh, it started out dark with a famine and, and the death of all the men in the family, and Ruth, this foreigner, this outsider coming to Israel with a very negative mother-in-law, and um, I'm not going to say anything else about mother-in-laws. Uh, this does not look good, but God shows up. God shows up and raises up Boaz, who's a man of honor, who marries Ruth. And as Paul Harvey used to say, you may know the rest of the story, Ruth married Boaz and had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse. Jesse had a whole passel of sons, one of whom was a man named David, who became the king. From outsider, poor, widow, gleaning the fields for something to eat to being the great-grandmother of King David and in the line, ultimately, of Jesus Christ. It made me think about some verses in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to mollify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So, my last word, I guess, today is that God uses the small, the insignificant, the marginalized to bring him glory, to bring him honor, to build his kingdom. So whoever you are and whatever you've done, wherever you've been, God is in the turnaround business. And he can bring light and hope to you. It all begins with this buy-in I was talking about, this wholeheartedness, this surrender, uh, repentance and faith and, and trust, and all those things are wrapped up in it. And if that's never happened in your life, if you've never crossed over and surrendered to God, I'd love to chat with you about that. Because it makes all the difference. It changes everything. All right, next week we get to leave Judges and we move into 1 Samuel and they're getting ready for a king. And uh, if you're tracking in your, uh, 
If you're tracking on your chart, you'll get to, uh, to see what's going on there. So be back with us next week for this as we work our way through this. I want to introduce some, um, some new members that have come to TABC 101 and gone through our process, and they're, they're uh, joining us now. So um, um, where are they? Let's see, um, Josue Mejia, would you stand up? Josue Mejia and Rich and Patty Arnold are over in the other corner. And these folks are, are going to be up by the door uh, shaking hands with me after the service. So come by if you haven't met them. Uh, greet them and make them feel welcome. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. As always, if we can help with any step in your next, your next step with your spiritual journey, that's what we're here for. Father, be at work in our lives. May we be reminded today of what you did with Ruth. And when we fall into despair and we think that we're so insignificant or we're so broken or we're so lost that you can't use us, remind us of these pockets of light where you raised up deliverers in the life of Ruth and what you did with her. And may each of us Shine for you right where you've placed us. In Jesus' name.